Hey everyone, it's Brooke Wise. Welcome to No Approval Needed, where we are all connected. We're going to have conversations with some incredible women with amazing stories to tell who need no approval to follow their passions and live authentically. Welcome to No Approval Needed. Today, we have Jackie Carr, who is a goal coach, motivational speaker, writer, wife, and mom to two strong, beautiful girls, Evie, who's five, and Nora, who's three. Jackie helps women find their gifts and use their voice to speak their goals out loud. Jackie created signature programs to help women find their voice. She has created a community for women to support women. Jackie and I went to high school together, and although we weren't close friends, I've always admired Jackie. From my perspective, Jackie was always confident, beautiful, an amazing athlete, and seemingly didn't really care what other people thought. She was always naturally beautiful, and I felt like she didn't need the outward external approval. So welcome, Jackie. I'm so happy to have you here. Well, I am just honored to be on, Brooke. A little nervous, which I think is exciting. I think people are like, oh, you're a public speaker. You never get nervous. That is false. I'm very excited to be in connection and um, busting through some of those myths that I didn't need approval or that I had my shit together. Uh Let's talk about it. Isn't that interesting? Like the way we view others, especially women looking at other women and the story we create in our mind about other people and then the stories we create in our minds about ourselves. Um, So tell us who Jackie is. Tell us who Jackie was back when I knew you and who Jackie is today and kind of how that evolution came about. Oh my God. That's the whole podcast. Like all those iterations right there, all those evolutions. So, you know, Brooke, when you and I met, we were in high school. So, you know, those like shit show teen years. And I think I was just a pretty big hot mess when I look back emotionally. Um, we were just talking about growing up in Houston. I remember Clinique makeup running down my face with the humidity, trying to cover up acne. Oh my God. I remember getting my period and being so embarrassed and like clogging my grandpa's toilet in the summer. Oh my gosh. I remember, I remember all those boys and our girlfriends. Um, I would say in high school, I really fell into my labels. So you're right. I was an athlete, um, pretty jockey. So that helped moving into high school, um, right into those titles of like basketball player, volleyball player, softball player. So I like immediately had, you know, team sports and was busy. So it was nice. Um, and I was pretty prude entering high school, Okay, all through high school. Let's just call a spade a spade. Oh, same. Virgin vet graduating high school. Oh, same, 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 same. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, yeah, like, oh God, sex scared the shit out of me. I also was raised Catholic, so all that was like a total sin. And, you know, I got pretty God squad speaking of my Catholic life. I was like a leader in that that club and I signed contracts not to drink or have sex my senior year. I mean, wild. Texas is wild. Okay. Yeah. So I just feel like um, I chameleoned a lot. I would say from the age we met, like 13, 14, 15, into 25, I was the master of fitting in versus like Brene Brown's quote, like fitting in versus belonging. I didn't know how to belong to myself. Um, oh, I loved people pleasing. I loved external validation. Um, and into college, you know, I definitely went a different direction. I definitely 
found alcohol. I found sex quite quickly. Um, and I, I changed again, almost every year, friend groups, chameleoning around. I changed majors every year. So that was interesting. Um, I actually graduated with communications and a gender studies degree, which my parents were like, what in the actual hell? But I have used it. After that, you know, I moved straight to LA, Brooke, and I worked in Hollywood and then I worked in PR and I lost myself like more than I'd ever lost myself before. No values, no family there to remind me, no close friends. I have one friend I've moved there with and I just was gone. I was just like in Hollywood in the mess of LA um, wearing like high heels and shorts, which I don't even own either of those now. And <laughs> it's either oh, well. high heels and or Uggs with the, the skirts back in those days, right? I had that. And so, yeah, I just really lost myself. And then I worked for a small company you might have heard of called Blue Eleven. Yes, and I remember that. Yeah, I found that company actually before it went public. So it was like a small company with a couple stores in the U.S. I really think I started to find my groove there. It like was a coming home. Um, I definitely over-identified with the brand for a little bit. Like I am Lululemon. I only talk about spandex, even at the bar. I'd be like talking about spandex and vision and goals and people would be like, uh, and I would say like right around that 25 marker, maybe 26, I began to explore like, what do I actually care about? What matters to me? Can I like take some time to see what works? can I voice what I actually want versus waiting for a promotion or someone to make out with me at a bar to feel myself? And so 26 to, I would say 30 was like a big reckoning and landing in this body that I am now. And so that's when I like met Chris and we got engaged. We moved to Colorado right at 30 and began to really ground my energy here in the Rockies. And that's like a short synopsis. And then we had the babies and and I uh, started my own business and left Lululemon and we're here. I love that. And you seem like you are so naturally happy and fitting in being in the mountains. Like when I look at your Instagram and see you in the outdoors, you just seem very, very much at peace. So what yeah. took you to Colorado? Is Chris from Colorado or how did y'all meet? Yeah, Chris is from Chicago. He's one of the first boys I met at Indiana University. That's where I went to school with our friend Allie. Yeah. And we didn't date in school. I dated his best friend, actually, which I think a lot of people have similar stories that are quite fun. Oh, yeah. And um, years later, we we rekindled. I always had a crush on him, but it wasn't the right time. And he's from Chicago. I'm from Texas. I started hiking in LA, which I know not a lot of you will talk about. I actually had been there a lot in high school with the God Squad work. Chris had been, his uncle lived out in Steamboat. And then I went for work quite often with Lululemon. I managed some of the stores out there and I was like, this is it. And so um, we moved to Colorado right after we got engaged. The Sierras in LA are incredible all the way up. And if you can camp and hike out there, you'll get a different perspective of the city, of the ocean. So I started hiking and both Chris and I had like a deep love and like idea of Colorado. We didn't know anyone, Brooke. No one. Yeah, and I love that. I love that. You're no outside one. your comfort zone. 
And I, I left such a tight knit community. I'd been in LA for almost a decade back and forth and had all these company connects. Oh God, it was scary. But we were driving through Colorado to Christmas in Indiana. He saved the house for us. Didn't talk to anybody else so we could look at it. Let us sleep there on an air mattress, totally legal. And <laughs> we of course signed the rent the next day and came back from Indiana into our new house. We didn't even go back to California. So it was the craziest thing where rent and houses were so hard to find. And we were in this cute little neighborhood in Denver. He'd saved the house for us. I, I was just like, oh, well, we're going to be okay. And so I, I like still seek those nudges when you start to move towards uncertainty. I believe in those things. I think if you really pay attention and you focus on the things you want, I think manifesting is a real thing. Um, yeah. I kind of play around with that with meditation sometimes and it's amazing what happens. Yeah, I agree. So what gave you like the confidence that maybe you feel like you lacked or put a mask over because you weren't confident in high school? How did, like, was it working for Lululemon? Was it just growing? Was it a certain person you met? Like what really inspired you or pushed you? But when I move now or when I speak now, um, when I'm, parenting, I find an aligned confidence to your values, what matters to you, to the the world you want to be living in, perhaps not the world we are in, but one that you're creating is where I found like that natural confidence versus one that's a mask or a blockade. So I don't get hurt. Yeah. And so my confidence now is one in my new favorite thing is like all rivers lead to the ocean. Like this conversation with you, you know, whatever I find out from a a doctor later or a job that I'm taking in Wyoming perhaps next year, right? Like all those rivers lead to the ocean. I believe now in like a ripple. And so I have this like faith that isn't necessarily intrinsically religious. Like most people would probably go to, but more of like faith in myself and my choices. And that feels very different than it did in my teens and twenties. Yeah. And and I think you've done the work. I mean, you've, true, you've gone true. within and you've done the work. I think like myself, you kind of look around now and it's like, we're not all that different. Whereas where we're in high school and like, I can only imagine what it was like for girls, not in my little group. Right. So there was like a group of us and we called ourselves just as nine. And at the time, I thought I was such an inclusive person. I wanted to include everybody in everything I did. And now on the other side of it, I'm like, man, we probably looked like a very inclusive group that didn't, exclusive group rather, that didn't really want anyone else in besides us. We did lunches together. We did everything together. So it's an interesting shift in my perspective. And all those girls are still my closest friends today. So I'm so grateful for those friendships. But now that I look back, it's like, wow, that probably felt really exclusive to anybody not in Just Us Nine, right? Yeah. I didn't even know y'all called yourself <laughs> that. I love it. I did. Just did. Us Nine. That's so adorable. And I do kind of like look at y'all's photos and I'm like, I am so impressed that they're all still friends. Like I obviously have meandered through many friend groups, not even going to lie. And I think that comes with a lot of like my reckoning of figuring out who I was. And I think neither way is wrong. And you're right. Like, I think what's cool now about society and this like awakening we're in is 
if you were to like cut us all open just to be weird about it and like lay all of us out arteries and the network and the blood vessels, we would look similar, which is so interesting. Like one of my favorite songs is a Bon Iver's blood bank. And he's like, look at all these, you know, packages of blood. They look just like the one, just like the other, like, you know, there's your brothers. And I think that's so cool. And the awakening I think we're in is in honoring what is different. And that's what I'm most interested in is like, okay, these are my set of core values. And Brooke, you have your set of values. Cool. And, and what can we talk about that perhaps we have some similarities, but others that are really different. And how can we say like, wow, that's, that's your belief or that's your way. I love that for you. And I love this way for me. And I find that, you know, conformity is definitely the norm. Like, you know, we all were meant to have a certain body size, look a certain way, especially in the nineties and early two thousands when we were in high school. Like let, let's not even go there with the covers of the magazines then. Oh, for sure. I mean, it is a rebellious act now to be yourself. And I find, you know, this new generation, I think, is honoring what is, you know, the same and what is different. And I right. love the weird. Like, let's get more weird with it, I say. And um, whatever makes people happy, like, by all means, let them do it. You know, I, I feel the exact same way. I feel like it's so easy to conform I think that's the easy way. I think it's standing out from the crowd and doing what you truly feel inspired to do and are your core values is the really hard part. I mean, I look around at women and I think that's kind of the biggest challenge is just truly following what you feel in your heart and what you feel called to do. It's fear-based, right? Yeah, especially, well, one, if you don't have any examples or role models. And two... I mean, when are we ever really taking the time to do self-reflection? I was just listening to a really cool interview with Cal Newport. He wrote Digital Minimalism. Okay, first of all, great language. He was talking about like, we're never alone, ever. Like we always have our phones, companion, or the internet to scroll. And I was like, that is some real talk right there around solo time, solitude, to like reflect on who am I and why is this hard and who do I want to be and what do I want to say? And so that's what I've really, like before this call, I like went outside for, you know, even just four minutes, Brooke, and I sat in the sun and I was like, oh, I should take my call out here, but then birds and dogs and life. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll go back inside. But even taking that four minutes to ground before our call was so soothing and I feel like you're right. Conformity can look easy, but it sure doesn't feel good. I don't think that's a slippery slope for us. I think so too. And it's interesting, like you were talking about feeling grounded and like, how is it different living in Colorado than say LA? Was it easier (gasps) for you to go outside here and feel grounded in Colorado than it would have been in LA? Okay. So I don't want to give LA a bad rap. I love LA. And by the time I got to the ocean, I was like, Oh, I feel better. Like my whole thing with LA is like, I'm going to live there. I'm going to live by the beach and I'm going to be poor. I'm going to live on credit cards. I'm going to figure this shit out, which I did. I find that there is this really cool vibration in LA around innovation, artistry, um, you know, being really proactive, super diverse, 
And I really love that about that city. And it's like, every, it has so many pockets. I lived in like seven pockets when I was there. I loved the ocean, by the way. I think I needed to flow a little bit. Saltwater's like straight up healing. And the waves remind you of like, wow, this is life. And so I surfed and whatnot. And I, and I liked it. I did. But what I'm telling you about my life in my 20s was it was already pretty floaty. Like I was navigating different personalities and floating between different ideas of who I wanted to be. And I found that when I visited Colorado, the air felt different. The people definitely felt different, but Mm -hmm. totally. I wanted to experience being able to hike every day. Mind you, I moved to Denver, which isn't close to the mountains. So I was like, oh, cool. So I had to move a little further out, which is why I live out here in Evergreen. But I wanted to experience like not hearing the city. I wanted to experience slowing down. And I don't know how, Brooke, you you hear me talking. I move like 80 miles a minute. I had to like have like the trees show me how to chill the fuck out. Yeah. And, you know, in Venice, when I lived in that pocket, I lived across from a fire station thing. Busy, busy. I lived off Lincoln, so busy. And now I live like my neighbor, they wouldn't even hear me if I yelled. I have a neighbor that is close, but my sweet old couple over there, they definitely wouldn't hear me. We live like by a ravine. And so I'm just navigating like, oh, what does it feel like to have space? And, you know, to be in the sticks. I've never lived in a small town. I came from Houston like you. I'm like, holy hell, where am I? And so also meeting new parts of myself by choosing different geography has been really cool. So one of the things that I have struggled with, I feel through all my iterations of self and career has been this imposter syndrome. And I didn't know that it had a name until recently, but it's this feeling of who am I to have a blog? Who am I to start a women's group? Who am I to start a podcast? It's this weird feeling of like, or who am I to make money? Like, did you ever struggle with that at all? Did you ever have some sort of false sense of confidence that you had to like fake it till you make it? Like, what was that like for you when you started a business? Okay, I'm so happy we're talking about this. Everybody turn it up. Turn the podcast up. Pastor syndrome gets such a bad rap, Brooke. Okay, first of all, let's just answer your question. There is this really awesome quote I'm going to send you after we get off the phone that we'll put in the show notes or in an Instagram post or something where you actually can ask those questions, but I'm going to ask you like, who are you not to start a women's group, to start a podcast, to make it rain? Who are you not for your daughter and my daughters to see a woman stepping into her voice, stepping into her power and exemplifying what it means to disrupt the status quo and the patriarchy we live in? That would be my question to you. And no, to I answer you. your, I know, and to answer your imposter syndrome, listen, I'm so mad at everybody who makes imposter syndrome bad. I'm so mad at you people and myself included. I used to do it because listen, impostering is like what we do to figure out who we are. You know how much I love Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Oh my God. I like started to look like her. I bought these glasses and I parted my hair and I wore a bun. I was like, I'm becoming Ruth. And I got really weird about it. And I loved it. Why would we not have role models to try on new ways of self? And then, Brooke, here's what I'm going to ask you in two years. I'll call you up, text you, and I'll be like, hey, Brooke, remember we talked about imposter syndrome? And you'll be like, yeah, yeah. 
And I'm be like, have you ever had a day where you were like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't start this sooner. Or why did I ever doubt myself? Or you're going to have a day where you start to do it. I find as well, when we start to meet the next version of ourselves, like Brooke chapter 77, and I know you're not 77, but we changed that fast in three years. And, you know, we start to become this new self, whether from the pandemic, from becoming a parent, getting a new job, losing a job, failing a goal, succeeding at a goal. We're always changing. Change is the only constant. I want people to start asking, oh my God, imposter syndrome actually could be bad when I'm impostering who I used to be. Like when I go back to Jackie in high school, I serve no one. I've grown out of that version. I don't need to be scared of women anymore. I don't need to worry about what so many people think about me. I need to worry about what my people think of me. And so imposter syndrome is actually a way for us to try on new parts of ourselves. Yeah, it's going to feel weird. Do you know how weird it was to put on jeans last year for the first time? Or like to put my leggings back on? Like it's the same conversation. Please, let's normalize imposter syndrome as an art form to become who we are and let go of old versions and welcome the ones that might feel a little uncomfortable. I am so ready for all the impostering. I'm just like sitting back listening. I I love it from that perspective. That kind of just shifts it from, yeah, like who are you not to, right? Like so yes. many women live in fear of doing the things or saying the things they want to do or say because of appearing to be someone they're not in a way. Right. But it's really would be allowing them to, appear as who they actually are if they said or did the things does that did I say that right did that make sense I mean yes of course yes we would have more grace with one another if we allowed people to stumble and fall into who we're changing and becoming listen I'm in a huge expansion right now I lost both my grandmothers in a matter of five weeks I've never been this sad in my entire life, Brooke. Mm, and I, I'm, so I'm sorry. Like, I know it's the shits, right? And so I'm like feeling around. I'm like, who is this? Like, if y'all could see me, I'm like feeling my heart, my chest, my body. I'm like, who is this? And it's because I've changed. I've never known grief like this. And yet it's also expanding my entire emotional scale. I'm uncomfortable around a lot of people right now, which I'm a super extrovert because I just, I'm like, oh, like, how do I talk about something that I'm navigating? I'm not through the woods on. And so I'm impostering sometimes that happy-go-lucky version of myself that was two years ago. And I'm somewhat uncomfortable in the changes that are happening. And like, thank God for all the work you and I are done because that's okay. Like I get to keep reintroducing myself to me. And what's even cooler is like when you reach out to me and you're like, Jackie, hey, it's me, Brooke from high school. (laughs) Do you want to be on my podcast? I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Like it was the coolest moment a couple weeks ago when we talked because it was like really healing for me to like talk to you. Yeah. And what if you hadn't done this? What if I hadn't felt a moment and glimmer of joy in my grief? Like, thank you for being yourself. 
and stepping into something scary because it was healing for me. And I think there's something to be said about sitting in the grief and feeling the grief because another Brene Brown thing is, you know, I think she said, you can't get over something. You have to go through something. And I find that to be so true when you're sad about something, when you're grieving something, when there's a trauma, when you just try to get over it, you're never going to get over it. You have to go through the shit. You have to hit rock bottom in order to pick the pieces back up and get back up and move forward and take something with you, the knowledge that you've learned about yourself and how you can overcome things. Yeah. And I think so often women are expected to get over things. Humans are expected to get over things. Yeah. But the whole idea of life is to go through things and we're going to go through tough things. No one gets out of this without going through tough things, but every tough thing you go through can be a gift. Like you said, with the loss of your grandmothers, like you are growing through that. You are sitting with that grief. You are realizing what your capacity is. And you're probably looking back at all of the lessons and the memories that they gave to you. That yet now that you're going to carry on in your life, you're going to pass along to your daughters and they're probably going to pass along to their children as well. 100%. I mean, we go through, or excuse me, we grow through what we go through. And then we That's leave. Right. I've had so many people, you know, reach out about losing their grandparents, which I think is awesome. I've had someone remind me how beautiful it is to be 37 and have had this relationship with my grandmothers, which I'm thankful for at first. I was like, shut up. But then I was like, yeah, thank you. Like, they're right. I also have gone to like grief circles, something I've never been to. I actually went to a grief spin class and it, this was like right before my grandmother was dying. So I was like knowing it was happening. And I grieved with like so many women, like a nurse in ER during COVID and someone who had lost her boyfriend last year who was really young. And I was like, shit, like this is being alive. And so I, you know, I can, I can feel in my body, like you can't, like you said, think, think through it, right? Like you can't just like get over it through your mind. It's more of like allowing your body to lead the way. And so I keep checking in. I'm like, right there, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. me. And they, there's a response that's like, cool, like this is how you feel and giving myself permission as a woman to be like fucking emotional, and mm -hmm. very sad and cry every day while also laughing my ass off. And I'm like, oh, this is it. This is being a wife. It's true. And so many people I feel have a very hard time letting themselves feel the emotions. It's scary. It's hard to go there and get really sad because then you have to pick up the pieces and go forward. And, you know, many of us have children to take care of and families to take care of. And so when you or going through something hard when you allow yourself to go there, it can be harder and feel worse before it gets better. But mm -hmm. I just, I'm always trying to encourage others to feel your feelings. You know, don't box them up. Let them out. Whatever it is that you need to do, whether it's a yoga class, a meditation, a workout, a therapy session, a talk with a friend, like deal with the issues. Yeah. Because yeah. stuffing it is only going to show up later on. And we all know that. That shit shows up. Yeah, it shit shows up. up. You're right. I mean, I think there's something too, tying this back to imposter syndrome. There's also like now like a layer of fear, like with the language of imposter syndrome of like, 
oh my, oh my God. <gasps> what if people don't like this new version of me? Like, what if, what if my, my sadness is too heavy, right? Even like with my partner, I had a moment of that where I was just like, it was been, it's been rough. And he really had to like show up in our, in our um, parenting and in our marriage in a different way. And he's like, this is what it, this is what it's about, which he reminded me. But I was like, I'm usually the happy one. Mm-hmm. I'm usually the one that's making all the plans. And, you know, what if I'm not that for my friends anymore? You know, the fear. And that's what I was talking about of like, if I try to be who I was a year ago, that's imposter syndrome, right? That's like trying to be and almost bypass all these learnings and go backwards. So and true. so that's really, yeah. And I, I think that's why I've spent a lot of time with myself these past couple months, even though the world's opening back up, it was such an interesting dichotomy for me of like, oh, you can go out now. And I'm like, oh God, I'm, I just need a minute. I'm reflecting and I'm, I'm, I'm meeting me now. And I think, you know, you can kind of hear I'm still in it, but once I'm on the other side and through that forest, I know there's many grief forests, y'all, so know that I won't be like a grief expert, but once I'm on the other side, it will have to be like a complete introduction of myself and then to my people of like, yo, like this is how I feel and this is where I'm going. And, see and people the, people, the people that love you and care about you are going to be proud of you. Yeah, they're totally. going to love you. They're going to accept you. I mean, life ebbs and flows, right? I mean, yeah. there's good days and there are bad days. I always say that like everything is temporary. Whenever I'm having a really hard day or I'm struggling with something, I always remind myself it's all temporary. And then also on the good days and in the really good moments, I also say to myself, this is all temporary because it's so mm-hmm. important to remember that those really good days you have to really soak them up and enjoy them and be present in them. And then know that those hard days, they're going to pass the ebb and the flow. That is life. But just being present in those moments, you know, I think that is so important. So true. So true. One other thing, like, you know, authenticity. I actually saw someone posted, I think it's some, I think she's a life coach and she posted that she's so thankful that the word authenticity is now a buzzword and that it is being thrown around so much because that means that it's becoming more the norm to be your authentic self where I feel like for so many generations before us, it's like you act a certain way, you behave a certain way in front of certain people, you go to the certain schools, you fit in the certain box and being authentically who you are wasn't really accepted or allowed and I feel like we are in a shift to where that is becoming more acceptable and to me there's no other way to be I mean I I have a really hard time with the superficial conversations they're just surface level like I want to have a real conversation with a person and get to know who they are authentically like who are you I don't want anything fake but why do you think so many people struggle with just being themselves? So there are a lot of studies going around right now around loneliness. And I really think people are lonely. Similar to what I just said, like, oh my God, what if people don't like this next version of Jackie? And I have faith and trust that 
like you said, those that love me will. And I have faith and trust that I get to meet new people. Like I'll never stop, right? And yet um, I think, you know, cell phones in our pocket and smartphones and Instagram have a world of benefits and a world of chaos that I think we're just starting to explore. And when you think about being lonely, humans have like these deep-seated innate desires. And of course, you can look at like water and food and shelter, but one of the biggest ones is belonging. In order to feel safe in this body of ours, which is a huge conversation, especially for women, to belong. And that's of course to yourself, but that's like, I'm like you and your, your friends, just us nine, that's a, a, a beautiful survival insurance plan y'all have put in place to know that you belong already. And then of course, to be in your neighborhood or your community or your city. Right. And so I think authenticity is scary especially if it looks different than how it looked before or you've changed or it doesn't fit the norm. Mm -hmm. I find a lot of people most likely have a deep-seated fear of, I know I do and have many times, um, feeling rejected, you know, that they won't belong. And I know this because I led this work for women for like seven years. And at the first of every retreat, I would stand up and be like, hey, just so you know, in case you were wondering, you already belong here. Like right now you belong not until someone laughs at your joke or you go have a drink with someone or someone says, come sit by me. Nope. You belong now. So choose to belong now. And I Brooke, every time someone would be like, I can't believe you said that because I was thinking that I'm like, I know because every time I walked in somewhere, I thought it too. I was like, okay, like who, who, who do I talk to? And should I be here? Was this a bad choice? I mean, we could walk into a coffee shop and say that. So I think authenticity, I agree. I love that it's a, a buzzy buzz. And I, I would tell people anything that gets buzzy, make sure like, like our biggest feat in the next decades is going to be the continuation of, you know, the conversation of loneliness and belonging. Probably for the majority of my life, like most women, you do want to fit in and feel like you belong. And the shift that I have found that I've taken is that I know I belong. And I don't have to belong with everybody. Not everybody has to accept me. Not everybody has to love me. But I have to love me. And the hope is, is that if I love myself, that my family, my friends, the people that mean the most to me are going to accept and love me. And I don't have to be wearing the right thing. I don't have to be saying the right words. I don't have to be going to the right places, but I can just be living true to who I am and still be accepted and loved. And that to me is what I want to encourage other people to do. And I would love to, in some way, help young women feel that way. I think the ages of 12 to 18 is so crucial. I think you're being formed in so many ways during that time that age is being exposed to social media and we were not. It's mm. different. We had enough social pressures in real life, but now on top of it, our children are going to be faced with these social media pressures that, you know, we experience it as adults in a, in a small way. I think I've gotten a lot better about it now. I think first had my kids, you know, I'm, I'm looking through the pages and I'm comparing the way that I'm 
mothering my children or what my days look like to these other moms and everyone has it all together except me. You know, how are they all doing it so well? And I'm failing here and I'm failing there. But obviously I've gotten to understand a false sense of reality on social media, but it's taken me till, you know, the last few years. So imagine what these 12 to 18 year old boys and girls, what it looks like to them. And it scares the hell out of me. I know. I'm so happy we didn't have social media growing up. God, me too. I mean, it's so great. So many great things have come out of it. So many, but it's this love-hate relationship that I find myself in with it. Yeah, me too. You know, I think with the young kids, I I, I love that... You know, your brain actually develops. It's so funny because I just realized I said like from when I met you to age 25, our brains are actually developing until age 25, which no one talks about. Like our brains are still developing until 25 and we get to try on different personalities, try on different outfits. I really believe that if we could really be a bit more graceful with all change is the only constant, which humans hate because we love control. And I find that that's really tricky in a high school time when you're, you know, wanting to belong, but you're also discovering what you care about and what you like. I sometimes look back at high school and I was like, Oh, I should have done um, a play. I should have done a play. I did, you know, acting class and, you know, I really enjoyed it, but I never really took it somewhere. So in my goals at age 80, I'm probably going to be in a play, Brooke. I'm, I'm going to bring it like things I didn't do. I'm going to put my goals for the future. I can go do, I did improv in LA for a minute, but I think, you know, those things you look back and like, oh, cool. Like I could have continued like to try things on. And I, I hope as a mother, I create that choice. Not that mine didn't, by the way. I loved my sports and I had a pretty set schedule, but I hope I remind Evie and Nora, I'm like, hey, like, did you check this out? Or let's go to a play. This is pretty cool. Let's go check this out. And so I think it'll be cool to explore exposure of different ways of being. And I think that's, a cool job as a parent I could try. I love that. Yeah. Like exposing myself too. Cause I'm not right. I am right at all. When you look at though, you know, social media and this conversation of, of youth, I think it is on us to continue to ask like, okay, we're the experiment here. Like our generation Brooke is like the first one to have access like this. And then the generation behind us, is I think the teens that are exploring and showcasing like, yo, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so we get to keep asking those questions of, you know, do you know what matters to you? You know, do you love yourself? I, I ask, I ask my kids now. I'm like, Hey, how you feeling? Like when we're eating, I'm like, what's your stomach say? Like we don't do clean plate club up in here. I'm just like, you mm-hmm. full? all right. Yeah. Bye. Great. Or we read a book and I'm like, you know, how are you feeling today? We have like a feelings book. I know that sounds super cheesy, but God, I love cheesy stuff. No, I'm all about the cheesy Me feelings. Too. We talk a lot about feelings in this house too. Because we're giving them tools. Yeah, it starts the conversation of like, how do I feel now? Have I changed? Can I tell my friends? Can I tell my friends how they make me feel? 
I think there's a really powerful movement happening around, you know, accepting, um, honoring what's different, um, creating space where there wasn't space before. And I honestly know, Brooke, you and I will do the best we can, number one. I know that. But I also know that like Evie and Nora and your kids have keys that we don't even have access to. They will teach us. And oh, so gosh, that's yes. one thing I like think about. I'm like, I worry about the future. But then I'm like, oh yeah, like my kids have a different DNA. Like they are going to make different choices than I would have ever made because they're different. They're themselves and they're growing up in a different time than me. I won't be like, I'll have obviously my values and my own discipline system here, but I'll also always strive to learn from them. And I think that's cool. I think that's so cool. I, I always say that every day I'm learning from my children. Since becoming a mother, my self-awareness has just shot through the roof. I think becoming a mom, you learn so much more about yourself. At first, I think you're a little harder on yourself. And then I think you can grow to be more compassionate towards yourself. And every day I'm learning lessons. I mean, Blake will come up to me and tell me things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. You're so right. These young kids are so wise and it's so cool to be able to learn things from them. I love that so much. And then just giving them the opportunities to try different things rather than making them fit into any sort of box. I think that is so important. You know, sometimes my kids will start activities and we'll give it a try and they'll say, I want to quit. And I struggle with that because I'm like, I don't want you to quit things. I don't want you to think that you can just give up on things. But I also want you to go into things knowing you don't have to do it for years. You know, you can try it out a semester and then the next semester you can try, you know, you're doing theater this semester, next semester you can do sports. You want to go ride horses, go ride horses. You want to go surfing, go surfing. Like there's so many things. And like you said, you try on those different hats and it's a nice gift to give your children to be able to allow that for them as well. Well, and to continue to give ourselves. You know, exactly. Like, I think my teacher calls it intergenerational learning, which I think is such great language. Have stories from our elders, respect your elders, listen to what they say. And um, I really love this language of intergeneration because then it's also like, well, respect youth. They might have answers we don't. And I think that's such a cool cyclical exchange versus mm. linear. I like that. I see that too. So, when you're talking about your girls and you're trying to instill your instill confidence in them, to me, I'm sure it happens just by osmosis, by them watching you lead and do what you're doing. But in what ways do you feel like you instill confidence in them? And when, and when have you seen them show their confidence? The most backward answer I just found was being able to say sorry to my kids when I fucked up. Yes. I apologize all the time. You know, I... I work a lot and you know, one of my kids said recently that I'm boring, which I'm not boring. And it was interesting because I think I was kind of pushing and hustling a little hard and she noticed. And so I had a conversation with her a couple weeks later of like, Hey, you know, I have been pretty encompassed by work and I'm sorry that that's affected our time together. And when my maternal grandmother was dying, I told Chris that I needed to take Evie out for ice cream and talk to her about it because I needed her to know why I've been sad for the past two months. And so I think my confidence 
um, of course they've, you know, come to see me speak on stages and I'm very clear what I do for work. I tell, especially my older daughter, I'm like, you know, I go to work because I love work. Like I love working with women on their goals and seeing them launch podcasts and businesses. I said, I love it. I also love my children. And I tell her that and being open about how I'm navigating my own change, uh, my own sadness, my own successes has been um, a great way for me to explore what it means to be confident in your whole self. And I think that has been the biggest example is saying sorry or sharing with my children what I'm going through. I love that. I, I, it's just so important for them to hear us say I'm sorry because it models to them that we do make mistakes. And we're not always perfect. We're not always perfect. Um, And a little bit, I was thinking about even like failure, like it's okay for them to see us fail or give up on something. That is also okay. Um, Because sometimes the fails are really the biggest blessings. Mm -hmm. That leads me to a question for you, which is how do you think any of your past failures have been blessings for you or saved you from something that wasn't meant for you? So all of them, all, all every of them. single one of them. I mean, it's so fun. Like, um, I could look at people I've dated and like people I thought I'd be with forever. And then those relationships failed. I'm so grateful they did, to be honest. I wouldn't have this life. I know exactly where it'd be with each person I dated. I was like, oh, that's fun. And I'm so happy I'm not there. Mm-hmm. And I think um I had so many failures at the start of my career at Lululemon. It was so interesting. And I remember getting rejected for this one job, like probably seven times. And I was so mad and angry. And I was like interviewing for other companies in the back of coffee shops next door to the store. I finally like got a promotion. I got a job and um, then got another promotion. And they kind of like rippled after that. After like my seven rejections, I got promoted pretty quickly as I really started to authentically find my voice was kind of the connector there. And I shared that story a lot. I became a recruiter actually. And I would interview a lot of people inside the company. And I'm like, Hey, I just want you to know, like, I didn't get this job like seven times. And they're like, no, because you just see the person in the job. You don't Mm -hmm. see them trying, interviewing, failing again. And then like meeting the person that got your job every time. I had that. Right. And a lot of the people were better. So like I do, but I, I commend them for not hiring me a couple times. But I would say that being able to have that experience of failure and standing back up again or failure and going to interview at another company and then deciding, nope, this is still where I want to be. Like all of those failures are opportunities to learn. And what happens, and I talk about this in, in one of my courses, is that we as humans over-identify with failure. So we fail at getting that job and we say, ugh, I'm a failure. But that's not true. What happens is that one time in my life, I failed X and I learned Y, Z. But if we over-identify with it, that's where I find a lot of sometimes anxiety, sadness, giving up or quitting can stem from Instead of being like, oh, right, you know, failure's okay. Whereas we grew up in a school where like getting F on your paper was really bad. Right. And so I think we have this like weird rhetoric 
that failure is bad when actually it's amazing. I wish more people could look at it that way. And I think the lesson here is that if we look at it a different way, right? Like you tried for that job seven times. How about that? You had the courage (laughs) to be vulnerable enough to go for it that many times. You finally get it. And then you move up in that company. And had you not had that courage to do that and fail, then you would have never made it there. And you probably wouldn't be here today. Right. I have not heard a story about one entrepreneur, one CEO that hasn't gone through many, many, many failures. Hearing that makes me feel much better. You know, I feel like all people want to hear is me too, right? Like I've been thinking so much about that lately. And, And that goes back to kind of just not being lonely, not feeling unaccepted, being part of something, belonging. You know, everybody wants to hear me too. And so I feel like I've always been so, at least in the last several years, outspoken about things that maybe aren't glamorous, right? Like, things that are hard that I've been through or relate to. And when you tell someone that, it's amazing to see the change on their face. Like, oh, you too? I would have never thought that about you. Because I think Mm -hmm. people look at us. They're like, they're these beautiful young moms and they have so much going for them. And we look at other women. We think they are beautiful, gorgeous young moms and they have so much going for them. But not everything you see on the outside is what's on the inside, right? Mm-mm. I just feel like everyone's judging so often, right? I always think back to a time in high school when when I step outside of myself and I look at who I was in high school, I think of myself who walked around the high school always with a smile on my face, friendly to everybody. And then I remember my senior year being in whatever science class, maybe physics, a girl after a full semester looking at me and saying, gosh, you're really different than I thought you were. And I said, oh, in a good way or in a bad way. And she's like, no, you're just, you're so much nicer. Like I always looked at you and thought you were pretty and popular, but you're really a nice person. And as much of a compliment that was to me, I carried that with me. Like, I think that's part of the reason why I feel this approval seeking feeling of wanting people to know me in my heart and who I truly am and not judging externally. I feel like maybe you could relate to that. 100%. I really feel like there's a book by Pema Chodron mm-hmm. called Living Beautifully with Uncertainty and Change. It's not like one of our most popular books, but it should be because the book is about how we as humans love to put people in a box. And so that person had put you in a box. You know, this is who you are. This is the group you're in. So you must be like this. And they're like, oh, you're nice. I always saw that person too. You're always smiling, always really friendly. And I think people have this idea, you know, of who people are. Like, especially for me in college, like people are like, oh, you know, she's scary or she doesn't really hang out with other girls. And I, that's true. I hung out with like two women and like 800 dudes. And they were all my friends, but we also put ourselves in boxes. Because Mm -hmm. we love control, back to that point. And so it doesn't necessarily always allow us to change. And I think that is the piece that I love about these younger generations that are fighting for acceptance. You know, speaking about authenticity, dressing and wearing what they want. I, I think it was so interesting to see 
you know, people step out of their boxes and Mm -hmm. to see myself step out of boxes as well. And to feel when I step back into them has been really, really interesting. And I think the more we can remove the boxes, remain open, uh, allow ourselves to be surprised or Mm -hmm. receive a new side of someone, I do think it's a nicer place to live. So I want to hear a little bit more about your business and your programs and also some goals that you're working on yourself. Yeah, that's fun too. My business has changed quite a bit. You know, I really run specifically masterminds right now for women who have a goal they're working on, um, entrepreneurial goals, wanting to start a side hustle. A lot of women have launched podcasts and I work with them on a 12 week basis. I take them through like a pretty rigorous program to have tools like values, vision, goal setting, and project management and boundaries to support projects they want to create and continue to create. And I love it. It's so deeply rooted and ingrained in like all the work I've been exposed to and the goal setting work that I love. And um, all of them are then uh, gifted my goal school program, which is an online program that um, one has a public speaker program, one's a goal setting starter kit. So you can start to look at like the legacy you're leaving, the goals you want to write down on paper and the goals you want to speak out loud, be it on a stage or to yourself. And so I love that work. It's really evolved. You know, I did leadership consulting and I coached one-on-one, but this is exactly where I've landed and I really love it. And, you know, I think to be a coach and, to be someone leading this work, I really believe living and evolving in that work is imperative. So, you know, some goals I'm working on right now, I definitely have a goal to write a book. I actually have a children's book ready. So I'm deciding my sequence of like kids book or, you know, personal development first. So oh, I can't wait to read it. I love that. That's so fun. So, you know, re-entering, I really started my career as a writer. So bringing writing, you know, back in. And then um, Chris and I have a goal to visit all the national parks by the time we die. So keeping national parks on the list with our children and and where we travel. And then um, what's another, another goal? I don't really have too many anymore. Like the writing goal. I have small quarterly goals like to fill the 12 and um, post on Instagram and things like that. But more goals for me right now was the recalibration of like how I balance my work time with my time with my kids and my partner. And so that's been like a goal that you can't necessarily measure in hours, but you can look at in like feeling and vibration. So, you know, a goal to explore a new conversation of work hours. Like I used to think I had to do a nine to five. I've been an entrepreneur for almost 10 years. Like mm-hmm. I can do whatever I want. I can work from wherever I want. And yet I still have this notion of how it should look or be. So I've been setting a goal to disrupt. I can end my day at noon. Yeah, it's just a change and a little flip in your mindset, right? Little, but 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 big ask sometimes. Big, big ask and big impact. When it's been ingrained, you know? Right, right. So many of those, things that have been ingrained and the conformities that we grew up with are hard to let go of. But I think that you are doing such a good job of encouraging others to do it. And I truly 
as much as I admired you in high school, just hearing everything you've done and watching the growth and the path you've taken, I truly, Jackie, like I really do admire you. And I see you fully living in your truth, living who you are and giving that back to other people too. And I think it's making a really big impact. So I'm proud of you. I'm really proud of you. I like 100% received that. And I don't say that often to myself. So it's nice to hear from another. But yes, thank you. And like I said, when you reached out to be on the podcast, like it surprised me and it was wonderful. So well, thank you for saying yes. And um, how can everybody find you on social media, email? How can people find you? Yeah, it's JackieCarr.com. Hello at JackieCarr.com. A quick hello. I highly recommend it. I love it. Not many people do it. I would, if you're listening, just do it. And then Jackie Carr on Instagram. Um, Jackie without an E, J-C-K-I-C-A-R-R. Because I I did drop the E after high school, trying on new identities and personalities. So love to hear from anyone. Brooke, I imagine you have the most incredible crew. Well, I will definitely include all of your contact information in the show notes. And um, thank you so much. I really appreciate this and really enjoyed this so much. Well, honored to be a guest on your new podcast and it will be the utmost success. Thank you.